Father, thank you for your words. Thank you for uh, this time together as we gathered, not in one place, but separately. Your spirit is at work. We thank you that your word is powerful and inspirational and comforting and relevant right now. I pray you'd help me and all of those who are watching, listening, to hear from you, be strengthened, encouraged in Jesus' name. Amen. So greetings and uh, a warm welcome, not physically, but uh, wherever you happen to be at this particular time listening and uh, joining in together, gathered at this time. It would be uh, tempting to say, welcome to virtual church, uh, but no, there's nothing virtual about our gathering at this time. It's often said that church is not a building, it's people, and that is absolutely true. That that point, that church is not a building, it's people, has been driven home emphatically, and especially in this week, as we've had to rethink uh, how we do worship, how we witness, how we uh, engage in ministry and mission, not able to gather together physically, but remaining at a distance in all that is going on in our church and nation and homes and businesses at this time. A few years ago at one of our summer conferences, we were uh, really glad to welcome Nick Cuthbert and in one of the afternoon sessions in one of the seminars that he led, he got us to do an exercise. He sat us down with some paper and got us to think a little bit with kind of blue sky thinking or with an empty piece of paper under this question, what would happen if the venue where we would gather Sunday by Sunday were no longer available? What would happen? How would we do it? How would we continue? What would church look like? It seemed a little bit hypothetical as a couple of hundred of us gathered up in the high street building in the hall and kind of worked out what would it look like. But this is where it's real. This is where we recognize that church isn't building. It's people. It's us right now. Indeed, this moment and this time, though concerning and worrying and harrowing for all sorts of reasons of the pressure and the worry of what will happen next, we're reminded that this can be an inspirational moment too. Indeed, one that our sisters and brothers across the world, who don't always have liberty in a place like a building we're used to week by week, our church, are the faithful, are the gathered community. Church is the people right now. As we gather through video, through audio, as we gather around tables in living rooms together. And so in our continuing series, both in the morning and the evening, we've sort of, we're not doing it in the morning service, the evening service, but over the coming weeks, Phil and I will continue to teach and preach and, uh, and learn from scriptures together with the family from 1 Corinthians and from 1 Peter. We're perhaps going to not progress as we have done through uh, kind of uh, one chapter by the next by the next, but thought it perhaps appropriate, given what's going on, to look at some themes and some things that are particularly pertinent and relevant, drawn from the texts. So today, body life, that the body is beautiful. That when we think of the church, when we think of the fact that the church is us, the people, 1 Corinthians is a natural stepping off point. Indeed, the whole of the New Testament is driving home this key fact. 
They remember in these early church days, they didn't have one place in which they would gather. They didn't have a building, a grand kind of place with pews and seats and, and crosses and all that sort of thing. They would gather on the Lord's Day in homes in households scattered over the city. They would meet together, they would share a meal, uh, the agape meal perhaps, and they would sit with the scriptures. They would read the letters perhaps that the apostles had sent. They would worship, they would pray, and the Lord was with them. And as they grew, as numbers were added to them in a format that is different to ours, but the Lord was at work in, the church grew, the people grew, their mission continued. And in the story of Corinth, they went from one place where they would meet to having to find other households where they would meet because others were invited in. So Paul writes and teaches them to the faithful in Corinth, to the body of Christ, he calls them, to the church, the people, not the building, the body life and the body beautiful. You see, as we've read through the early chapters of 1 Corinthians, we've seen Paul again and again wanting to teach and inspire the people he loves, the people he's known and been with for 18 months and still has that pastoral heart for. He said, don't be divided, but maintain unity. Don't you remember that you are the temple in which the Spirit of God dwells, indwelling both the individual and the gathered community. In chapter 12 that we've heard read already, he speaks about what it looks like to have gifts and ministries together, inspired by the Spirit, one body functioning, body beautiful, and then reminds them of the key traits in amongst the gifts. The hallmark of the Spirit-filled, Jesus-centered community is that of love. We'll get there in the coming weeks in chapter 13. We are the church right now, gathered yet scattered. It's worth underlining this point. In chapter 12, he doesn't say that we are like the body, but rather we are the body of Christ. Verse 13 of chapter 12. For we were all baptized by one spirit as so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we're all given the one spirit to drink. And so the body is not made up of one part, but many. We are the body of Christ. It's this major theme again and again in Paul. Romans chapter 12, Ephesians chapter 4, and here in Colossians chapter 1 verse 18 says, And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. It's a little bit mysterious, but this is true, that Jesus indwells us, that we are his body. Remember when Paul, who was formerly known as Saul, he had bet he learned this lesson and this insight at that moment. As he was persecuting believers, as he was chasing them down and hunting them in village by village, town by town, seeking to arrest them and harass them and cause them to fail in their faith, Jesus encountered him on the road to Damascus and said in chapter 9 of Acts, verse 4, Saul fell to the ground. And heard a voice to say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Jesus is in his people, the church. And that Paul learned 
that the body, the church, is the visible expression of Jesus Christ, that we are the visible expression of Jesus, and that the way the world sees Jesus is by seeing us, the body of Christ. In chapter 12 and in other parts of of this letter, we see this interdependence and this harmony that that Paul envisions as he teaches and preaches and encourages the church to be, the sisters and brothers. He says that, don't you know, we are in this together. We're in this together called by Jesus, by through one spirit, in the will and purposes of the Father to live in this glorious harmony, the body of Jesus, the body beautiful. He says that no one of us has all the gifts. None of us are indispensable. It's not about just the super ones, the special ones, the really gifted and able. Independence and the solo players and the elites are ruled out. That in this truth that the body of Christ isn't the church as a building, but of people, Ministry, the body of Christ, is not just for the few, but the many. Every member, every person ministry, and everyone matters, especially at this time. As Paul speaks, and we'll see it again in chapter 12 here, ministry isn't for the few, but for the many. But that many isn't called to be kind of diverse and disparate, but unified in the purposes and mission of Jesus. We're not all called to be clones, to be monocultural. We're not all called to have the same passions, but actually of who we are in the local church as representing the wider universal. We rejoice in its breadth and its scope, its diversity in age in social makeup, and in the very giftedness of who he's called us to be. I'm so thankful for the diversity we see in our church at this time. The church on the, on the edge in social care, whether that's through food bank or TLG, whether that's in the holistic ministries of, of uh, working with those struggling with mental health issues in Renew 55, of CAP, in in uh, money matters or the Anna chaplaincy working with those who are at a later stage in life or with dementia, with youth and children and kids of deepening spirituality in whatever way it happens, the diversity in the body of Christ. David Coffey wrote, in a world where there is disunity and fragmentation of every kind, the church offers genuine community. In a world where there is alienation and war, the church witnesses to reconciliation and peace. In a world where there is hatred and evil, the church's lifeblood is love and harmony. As a result of the finished work of Christ on the cross, believers are to realize that they are God's new society. He wants the church, us, to be a visual aid before a watching world. As we're gathered but distance, this is still true. It helps us rethink, it helps us gain an insight so much more deeply of the remarkable ways that Jesus has called us together and is equipping us to be his body 
his body beautiful. Definitely under the headship and the lordship of Jesus Christ. He is the head of the body. Remember when he taught in chapters 1 and 2 about Saturn 3, some follow Paul, some follow Apollos. He's saying, don't fracture it, don't divide the body. Remain with Christ as the head. And this body, we, the church, are beautiful. That we have to be spirit-inspired. That the Corinthian church was, had become and was becoming disunity, disjointed and divided in different ways. And yet Paul reminds them of the things that bind together are so, so much more foundational. In verse 13 of chapter 12, all are baptized by one spirit. Verse 3, all need the one spirit. He says there are different types of gifts, there are different ways of serving, there are different works, but one spirit unites. See how God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit weaves through chapter 12. The Father places gifts within the body. Verse 6 of chapter 12 says, There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Or verse 18. But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wants them to be. And in verse 24, while our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has put the body together, giving great honor to the parts that lacked it, and so forth. God is involved in his body. But also, the Son is uh, involved so much too. Verse 12, we're told, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Verse 13. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, all given the one spirit to drink. And verse 26. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ. And we've already heard of the inspiration, the centrality, the infused life of the Spirit. Verse 4, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. Verse 7, now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And indeed in chapter 14, verse 12, so it is with you. Since you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church, the people. So just a few thoughts and practicalities in recognizing we are the body of Christ, even at this challenging time, at this unique time, in this powerful time in which we are still infilled by his Spirit. Paul is at great pains in his letter and in chapter 12 to speak to those who feel inferior or less than. Or look at others and think, well, they've got center stage. We can see what part, gifts, how other people flock around and they're clearly leaders. How do I fit into this body? The Paul says, 
Don't envy them or don't underrate yourselves or believe the lie that the Satan would, would plant in their thoughts say, well, no one will notice if you're not part of it. The lie that says I'm useless or the, the, the self-doubt which says, really, what can I contribute? I hope you hear the word of the Lord and encourages you to dispel doubt and believe in God's word that says you are part of this amazing body. That you are part of the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ together, nourished by one spirit. That each and every member, each and every person are essential and necessary in the body of Christ. We're different. He says there's an eye and an ear. Are they the same? No, but every part is special. Verse 18 of this chapter says that we are arranged, that God has chosen us and arranged and to be in this as he perfectly sees fit. But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted to be. Even as we gather separated, even as we have to distance ourselves socially, even though we think, how is the mission of the church going to be? We are still the body of Christ and still inspired by that one spirit. Even those who don't think they matter are so, so important. A number of years ago, as I was finishing my, uh, my degree at Spurgeon's, and having to um, submit all those final essays and put together all the final pieces of work, we had to submit stuff uh, typed, printed, and uh, kind of word processed to the college. And as I was working, my computer kept crashing. Uh, it was really annoying. I kind of had to save it. I had to uh, make sure that, because I'd lost some work and, and gone through that, oh my goodness, how am I going to catch up? What did I write? There didn't seem to be a reason at all. I couldn't work out what was happening. There were assignments to finish and the essays were there and the deadlines coming up. And all my computer would do would crash and then it wouldn't start up for a whole uh, length of time. It was really, really annoying. We've got that blue screen of death, as it's called. And so... I kind of thought, well, there's nothing for it. I'm going to have to uh, kind of reach into my savings in order to, um, to find a kind of the money to buy a new computer. And I got really close to having to do that. I'd rebooted stuff, reinstalled stuff. I'd cleaned the hard drive. I'd done everything I knew to do, and still the problem persisted. It wouldn't function. I thought it was a hardware problem. I thought there was a software problem. I thought, I don't know what it is. And then as I kind of looked, I kind of realized that the little tiny fan on top of the hard disk on the motherboard and the little chip that made it all work, everything else was working, but this fan had stopped. And I kind of realized that the computer was overheating. So I, I kind of uh, managed to find a replacement fan and found that it cost five pounds and as I installed the fan on top of the motherboard upon the chip, the little fan started turning. And it was as if my computer was as good as new. The software and all its hardware and, uh, and complexity and its ingenuity and its functionality was dependent upon this little, lonely, inexpensive fan. And I realized at that point 
that it was as critical as everything else and as essential. Likewise in the church, to those who think, well, I'm not that spectacular without each part playing its part. The body doesn't function as it should. Every one of us is interrelated and mutually dependent. No one is excluded. All of us matter, the people. If we feel inferior, take heart from this scripture. We are all called together. But equally, sometimes there's a danger of of feeling superior, of kind of recognizing that people kind of say, oh, you're amazing at this or that, or, or thank you so much for taking a lead role. And we kind of begin to think, if I wasn't there, would anyone notice? Or, or actually, if this person left, where would we be? Paul teaches that there's a fourfold warning. There's no room for arrogance in our lives. Everyone is necessary, verse 22. There's no kind of place for pride which would uh, kind of elevate and puff ourselves up in self-congratulation. In chapter, in chapter 12, verse 23, God takes care of even that which we see as the least gifted. As we've already heard, that Paul is saying there's no room for a divided body. God has put it all together, verse 25. And there's no place in verse 26 for grandstanding. We rejoice with those who rejoice and suffer with those who suffer. It's not that we we ignore the painful or the difficult parts, but recognize and embrace each one of us. I came across a story of an encounter, an event that happened in Europe in a mountain village a few centuries ago. A wealthy nobleman had wondered what legacy he would leave to his townspeople to the people he'd grown up with and lived with and so forth. And he made this really great decision. He decided to build them a place to worship, a place to gather for the church to come in and be equipped. But he kept it really, really secret. No one was permitted to see the plans or the inside of the church until it was finished and they were gathered in as the people. And at his grand opening, the people kind of came through the doors and they marveled at the beauty of the place that was built. Everything had been thought of and included. It was a masterpiece. But then someone was looking around and thought, wait a minute, where are the lamps? Because actually they noticed it was, it was really quite dark in that building. How's this church going to be lighted? How are we going to see? And so the nobleman pointed to some of the brackets on the wall. And then he gave each family a lamp and said, whenever you come, bring the lamp with you to worship. Each time you are here, he said, the place where you will be seated will be lit Every time that you aren't here, it will be dark. This is a reminder, he said, that whenever you recognize that you're missing 
some part of God's house will be dark. A poet, Edward Everett, put it like this, I am only one, but still I am one. I cannot do everything, but still I can do something. And because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse to do something I can do. The whole church, the body, is beautiful. We're well aware at this time, this first Sunday, where we can't physically gather, that the challenge of coronavirus is massive. It's unlikely to be here for a short time, a matter of weeks, but maybe some months. Whether we'll be having to meet uh, like this remotely as a fellowship together or whether we will be able to meet from time to time in smaller groups or as a whole church, we'll have to wait and see. In the midst of this huge challenge, there is huge opportunity because the body of Christ is still beautiful. It's still the body of Christ. It's still inspired by the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. As church historians have have pointed out, the body of Christ, our family, has faced things like this before. There have been epidemics. There have been times when disease was deadly. In the early church, in the year 251 AD, there was a devastating epidemic that swept the empire. A historian, Rodney Stark, points out in his book called The Rise of Christianity that Christianity happened to flourish during the epidemics while paganism and worship of other things completely collapsed. He went on to speculate, perhaps the reason that Christianity flourishes in hard times, including pandemics, is because followers of Jesus know things that are unknown to the rest of the world. The church is not a building, but us. The body is beautiful. Jesus, before he was arrested, told them about we are to be his hands and his feet and his words to the least and to the vulnerable to every person, not just the limited few, but as all. I love how Chris Duffett phrases it in one of his books. He says, everyone should follow his calling and carry out his work according to his God-given gifts and capacities. The same breath is blown into flute and cornet and bagpipe, but different music is produced according to different instruments. In the same way the one spirit works in us, God's children, but different results are produced and God is glorified through them according to each one's temperament and personality. As we gather with families, isolated perhaps, in less contact than we normally would be, the Lord is at work to strengthen us and help us to grow. Confident in the Lord is with us to become stronger, not weaker. 
In the coming days, we're going to help with that. We're going to try and send out some resources that will not only help us as maybe older people walking as adults, but how we do that not only as children, perhaps together as families. I am so encouraged by the way our communities are responding and looking to one another to support and shop and help when there's isolation and and difficulties, even though we can't physically uh, be present, to still remember that we're being prayed for and supported as we have need. May we not grow tired or downhearted, but know in this that we are his body and that beautiful things happen through his ministry. Let's pray.